friends, I'm Christine Dynese, Integrative Epigenetic Health Specialist and host of the Well-Examined podcast. Well-Examined is where science and discovery meet human intuition and wellness to help everyone claim sovereignty over their health and vitality. Each episode, I'll chat with the most clever minds in integrative health, biohacking, and neurolinguistics, as well as reputable citizen scientists across all facets of wellness. As the world begins to take their health into their own hands, never before have we so badly wanted second, third, and fourth opinions. Well-Examined serves to offer alternative treatments, ancient traditions, and the latest medical research with a measured dose of objectivity, levity, and a fun bedside manner. Good morning, friends. Today, we are with Joe Cohen, the CEO of Self-Decode, a direct-to-consumer genetic testing company. Joe would say he won the genetic lottery of bad genes. As a kid, he suffered from inflammation, brain fog, fatigue, digestive problems, anxiety, depression, and so many other issues that were poorly understood in both conventional and alternative medicine. Joe was really frustrated by the lack of good information and tools, so he decided to embark on a journey of self-experimentation and self-learning to improve his health, something that many of us know today is biohacking. So we're going to get into Joe's story and his journey and dive into the world of genetic testing as it's available for us in our modern times. Hey, Joe. Welcome. How are you? Hey, Christine. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm so happy you could join us today. So I've got the million-dollar question for you that I love to ask all of my guests. I want to ask Joe, what is his Ikigai? So most of you have been listening along now. You know that that's the Japanese purpose of um, the Japanese a way of explaining life's purpose. So can you tell us a little bit about your Ikigai and how it plays into your story and its unfolding? Yeah, so that's a great question. My life's purpose is, I think people mostly have many purposes. I, I don't know if there's one yes, single life yeah. purpose, uh, <laughs> you know, for me or whatnot, but I think I have, you could say a dual purpose. One is I love to create products, um, I love to make people happy, right? And I love when people find solutions that they can improve from, especially related to their health. So, you know, technically I can make a product, but something that really pushed me towards the health world was that I can also make people healthier, that I can improve people's lives. And that was very important for me. My mother wanted me to go to, to be a lawyer, <laughs> and I thought of that as a very zero-sum game. So even if I was very creative or produced whatever I wanted there, I always felt like that was too zero-sum for me. You know, somebody wins, another person loses, whereas in healthcare, you can create a product and then both of you gain from that. And so that allowed me to fulfill my creative ambitions as well as getting into a field where I was able to help people. That's awesome. So how is she today with... She, <laughs> what you're doing, believe it or not, she's still telling me she thinks it would be a good idea if I went to law school, believe <laughs> it or hilarious. not, I'm not kidding. She, cause she's from like a very old school Jewish mother type of personality where she's just like, you know, having that security, you know, you got to have a family early on and you know, you need that kind of security. Cause you don't know if you have a business, it could close down. And you know, there is some truth to that, sure, right? In, yeah. In entrepreneurial endeavors, there's always a, a risk that things aren't going to work out, but it's just not my passion. And, you know, I laugh at it now and say, thank you for the advice. 
Yeah. But maybe someday, mom. <laughs> right. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. So let's dive right into your baby, self-decode. If you want to talk about self-hacked, you could tell people about that too. Maybe it will help them understand part of the journey. Uh, but I want to tell everybody, so of all the genetic tools out there that I use in private practice or have used, uh, I found yours to be the most intuitive and user-friendly. So for anyone who's new to this you know, world of genetic testing, there are so many of applications now, but they're either incomplete with their testing, uh, completely confusing to consumers, or let's face it, they're going to sell your data. So uh, what I love about Self-Decode is that it's upgraded exponentially in such a short period of time. I just have found that to be so incredible. I've been using you guys, you know, since you started out, which wasn't, you know, so long ago, maybe years of research, but it being direct to consumer, uh, you know, I just can't believe how quickly it's grown for our more science minded listeners. And really, I guess anyone considering diving into their genetics, can you talk a little bit about your process of, you know, developing self-decode and what that's been like? Yeah, definitely. So self-decode has been in the making for about three and a half years now. And initially it was just me and I really did not have any support from anyone. I didn't raise any funds at the time. I didn't have a designer even. I didn't have a developer. I didn't have anyone. It was just my vision. I knew it needed to get created because there were no products that were actually offering any kind of the tools that I wanted to use for my clients to get them better. So I have to right. tell you really quick, uh, when I first came upon your company, it was awesome because I was really busy in my private practice and I had transitioned away from writing my own blog and I was speaking more and, you know, what's meth, you know, what's methylation? Uh, what does it mean to, you know, decode my detox profile? And that's when I started just sending my clients articles from self-hacked and I never send my clients anyone else's articles. I always will write them, you know, a two page email or whatever it takes to explain it to them. And I couldn't believe the detail that you went into, you know, your research vetting and the research you were citing. So I was really excited then to see how it was going to evolve. Yeah. So the self-hack was the first thing that I created and that was around six years ago. And the reason I created that was I realized, you know, when I was sick, I needed information to get better. And unfortunately, WebMD was not providing me with the information I needed. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In 2019, they're still not providing me with the information yeah. that I need. Yeah. And so I saw that there was this gap between the general scientific literature and what was happening within these sites like WebMD or the Mayo Clinic. You know, they weren't, there was a bunch of problems with those sites. They weren't citing the original scientific literature, so I couldn't verify anything that they were saying. They weren't going into the necessary detail that I needed. It was kind of just like, you know, any kind of supplement that they would talk about, they would say, there's really no research, and, you know, that, that this really does anything. A great example, I looked at this article about NAC from one of these big sites, like, you know, WebMD. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to list the exact one, but... Essentially, the first thing they said is there's no evidence that N-acetylcysteine can do anything. Oh, which right, and is and and it could potentially false. be dangerous, <laughs> right? And and I was like, what? Uh, yeah, we have a post about like 45 <clears throat> benefits 
almost all of them are with clinical trials and there's no danger whatsoever in that supplement. And so that, that kind of shows you the, the idea, you know, the individual was not a science person who wrote the article and that's fine if they, if they're self-absorbed and they, uh, you know, in the, into the literature and they know how to write scientific papers, but they didn't know science. They were just making these blanket statements that like, no, it's not going to help with anything. And I just said that, you know, something like that is really wrong. Oh, a huge disservice, irresponsible, agenda-driven. I mean, I could keep going. <laughs> exactly. So number one is it's not science-backed. You can't make a statement that this is dangerous without backing it up, right? Right. And it's not true that there's no benefits to NAC, right? You, can, you might argue a very specific condition. What's the level of evidence for this? Is it high? Is it low? Is it medium? We can argue about that, but you can't say that there's no benefit to N-acetylcysteine whatsoever for anything. We, we don't know anything. Speak to your doctor. It's just the same thing. You can create a template for every supplement post. Speak to your doctor who <laughs> has no clue about it anyway. Exactly, <laughs> right. Uh, N-acetylcysteine actually was in conventional hospitals. It still is in there for Tylenol overdose. So they are yep. actually, <laughs> doctors are familiar with NAC, but the funny thing was is that like they just did not, look into anything related to that. So I think that's a fairly widespread problem. And there needed to be this information portal that really did a deep dive into the original literature without coming to a pre-conclusion based on, you know, what our ideas are about a specific supplement, right? If we like it, then make sure it's good, right? We don't do that. Uh, if we think that all supplements are BS, we don't say, we don't really start with that, like, oh, nothing is really going to work. Uh, so that is where self-hack came in. But what was more important, I realized, was that we were entering an era where there was so much information that was personalized, right? Yeah. The age of sequencing people's genetics, even if it's just a snip chip, that can give you so much information. Incredible amount exactly. of information. 600,000 data points, you know, or in our case, our chip has 800,000 data points, 800,000 data points of information, a lot of them mean something, right? And so 150,000 of those SNPs, there's some kind of study in the scientific literature saying what that means. So you have all these data points, you have lab tests uh, that, that also have a lot of data and that's not being utilized by your doctor. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, there's, there's all this information about supplements or lifestyle modalities or what's the benefit of mind-body approaches. There's a whole bunch of, I mean, there's a whole gamut. I'm not just talking about supplements, really anything, like what's the benefit of music or whatever it is, right? So self-decode, I realized there needed to be this personalized uh, genetics platform. And it needed to, you know, and, and so I always thought that if we're kind of poking in the dark often when we don't know what your blueprint is. Yeah, definitely. So the, your DNA is your blueprint. It's how you're made. And if you don't know, it's, it's like trying to do major renovations in the body without having a blueprint, an architectural blueprint. Oh, I literally use this analogy with my clients all the time when they ask about uh, oh, my doctor ordered this blood testing and that blood testing. And we talk about, you know, your genetics as your foundation, the structural integrity of yeah. everything that comes after. 
you yeah, know, and, and the lab tests, the lab tests will often be like, you know, there's a leak here, right? There's a bathroom leak, and this, and you could see something is abnormal. So you have the original blueprint, the original architecture, and then you also have uh, the actual problems, like the 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 you have what's the temperature? What's you know? You could see something is going wrong in the body with your lab tests and your symptoms, of course, right? So I think all three are really important to put together, but the genetics piece was really missing and it's still missing. Unfortunately, there's no apps that are really doing what I feel needs to be done. They're not really in a scientific way connecting ways to improve someone's health in, you know, when you're looking at their genetics. So the self-decode approach is we look at, number one, we take essentially a type of Venn diagram where we look at what are all the possibilities of how, you know, something that can, let's say, improve a certain topic like mm -hmm. mood. What are all the things that can improve mood? We know there's a lot of things that can improve mood. And we then take what, are, what, what genes are malfunctioning in your body that are increasing your risk of some kind of mood problem. Yeah, this is so important because uh, I receive, uh, you know, letters from so many people. Oh, my naturopath put me on X, Y, and Z, these, you know, nootropics or neuroinhibitory, et cetera, et cetera. And the very first question I ask, has anybody looked at, you know, COMT variation, MTHFR, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. What's that? No, exactly. they didn't. And, you know, people think they're going crazy. And... It does such a huge disservice to uh, the integrative naturopathic profession. They're well-intending. But without that data, you're messing with the mind, which is informing the rest of the physiology. So, you know, go on to say what you're going to say about. A hundred percent. So COMT is a great example of something where it can affect how well you do with different kinds of therapies, different kinds of ways to get healthier. And so... Well, we, we have a situation where, uh, yeah, I mean, so with, with let's say, a self-decode report, we'll take a, a specific topic like mood, and we'll take, we'll start off with a list of 500 things that could potentially improve mood, right? And then we look at what are the genes that are malfunctioning here, and then we connect those genes, what are the, you know, healthy ways to improve those genes? And then we take the intersection of those. So number one is the first layer is it has to improve the underlying, you know, topic that we're talking about, whether that's mood or something else. Then number two is it has to improve the gene within that topic. Yes. <laughs> so a, a normal doctor or normal health coach or normal, you know, normal way of looking at something is, well, my friend told me, or I read on the site that this is good for boosting mood, right? And that's that's not a terrible approach, right? That's what we've done until now. Sure, the semantics get a little dicey there when you just say boosting mood. People don't know if that is even precisely what they need to boost yeah. something. Then they end up overmethylating, you know. Right. Or <laughs> it's true. It, it is it is a bit vague, but basically, um, boosting mood can be a broad category of anything that has been shown in the scientific studies to reduce anxiety reduce depression, things like mindfulness, yoga, exercise. There's so many things that you can do. You can get outside, 
right? And then there's some supplements. There's there's all these things that you could do to improve mood. And you know, someone who wants to improve their mood, they don't know where to start. Uh, we can. I could give you an example from Eliana, my fiance. So she she wanted to improve her mood. She had some a mood problem, and she realized that she wasn't acting in the way that she wanted to, and she wanted to improve her mood. And, and we had a lot of relationship problems from that. And so she was already exercising, for example, right? And so some, some people will say, oh, you want to improve your mood? Sleep more, exercise. Sure, yeah. Get outside, maybe. She was doing all those three. And so while all those three are super healthy and super important, they're not necessarily the only things that you can do to improve your mood, right? And so for, you know, and not everyone, I mean, exercise is healthy in a whole bunch of ways, but not everyone will really help a specific issue with exercise, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. in, in this scientific studies, you know, exercise can be helpful for depression, but sometimes it's not. And the reason is because everyone has a different type of depression. So getting back to Eliana, I said, I want you to look at your mood report, your self-decode mood report, and find, you know, the ways that are not only helping mood, but also helping your genes that can potentially improve your mood. Yeah. And so she, she downloaded her report and she found there was a few things that she really, that were high up on her list of priorities and because we prioritize the list from like one to 30. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. For anyone who's new to self-decode, I think that's an important distinction to make. When I was saying earlier how confusing other testing platforms can be with their reporting, uh, generally, the, generally, there are no reports that translate the information for you. So for someone to be experiencing a health concern that you know, they identify in their own way and then be able to have tangible, uh, you know, narrative to go along with it is so helpful. And I think that's a huge differentiator with self-decode, the fact that you have those downloadable reports because everybody consumes information in a different way. But let's face it, as a direct-to-consumer platform, people need those reports. It still links them or anyone, you know, who wants you to go back to the hardcore scientific details of every gene and SNP, et cetera. But to have those reports, I, I've definitely found uh, that those are so helpful. And yeah, I'm decoding everything for my clients, but for them to then be able to digest the information and kind of reprioritize, it's so, it's been so helpful for people. Yeah, exactly. So the way that people are supposed to go about with these reports are, number one, <clears throat> so they download the report, and it's often helpful, very helpful, for people to look at these reports with their doctor or a health coach or someone who really understands the situation, unless they're very, very proactive in doing a lot of their own research. But basically, you know, a, a health coach or a doctor, somebody can look at, understand the big picture of their health and understand like they, they can look at those things and then say, here's maybe something that we don't want you to do, or we want you to emphasize this a little more, right? So we're not really uh, replacing health coaches or doctors because, you know, people still need someone to give it a final check, sure, right? Sure, sure. And so somebody <laughs> like you, if you're working with a client, you're, you're the one who's going to give them a final check and see which substances or which you know, modalities will help them the most. And then 
on self-hacked, we have everything linked to self-hacked. They can read more and familiarize themselves with the, whatever they plan on doing to, to see if that really makes sense for them. Yeah, I think part of the issue is uh, research dissemination in general with practitioners. I spoke at UCSD a couple of months ago to a group of uh, neuroimmunological researchers, and they were really fascinated when I was telling them about your platform and the degree of information that can be ascertained from it. And they kept asking me, this is a, this is a direct-to-consumer platform? You know, they were just so surprised by that, you know, and... I guess part of it is we know how research is not disseminated <laughs> into conventional, you know, practitioners practices, but are you seeing any more with that? Are you seeing clinicians jump on genetics a little bit more because of consumers bringing the information to them? Are you hearing things from the, you know, from the community about that? Or are you having clinicians get in touch with you, you know, more about using self-decode in their practices? Yeah, that's a good question. So clinicians definitely are wanting to do this much more, right? And the reason is because there's client demand and anyone who has a practice that they're looking at your genomics, that also gives you a leg up in comparison to other people who are not looking at that. And so there is this demand for for that. The, the only issue is, uh, I think, that physicians, you really need a good training program for physicians because physicians are very busy usually. And they don't really have time to proactively look, you know, look at new tools and look at, you know, a whole bunch of new information. So it really needs to uh, be given in some kind of good educational package. And that's something that we'd like to work on more to, to you know, to basically teach practitioners how they can use self-decode for their clients. You should do a boot camp. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Definitely. How to, how to become a real doctor boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's really important to uh, educate physicians on how to use it. And and there could be simple things. I mean we have a practitioner series where we started to send emails to practitioners on the platform uh, t explaining to them how they can use this app, right? And so they, they, yeah, they have to be aware. For example, some practitioners, uh, the way that they practice is that will, if something helps their genes, then they will do something specific for that gene. They're treating a gene. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, everyone has their own approach, but the self-decode approach is that we're not at a point where we could just treat a gene, generally speaking, without with within a knowledge vacuum, right? The mm -hmm. the approach that people take have to be one where they're also helping some underlying problem that they want to improve. Oh, I discuss this all the time, you know, with physicians. You cannot take a compartmentalized approach. You're going to have all these people over methylating. <laughs> I mean, right. It, that's usually how people end up. Oh, it started with by, you know, my healthcare provider and I couldn't sleep. I had all this anxiety. And of course, you know, they say MTHFR because everybody knows how to look at MTHFR mutations right. now, but nothing else, you know, so that's, that's part of it. So how do you express that to practitioners who are so accustomed to uh, wanting to fix a problem instead of enhance a whole person's physiological capabilities and possibilities? How do you send that message or, you know, 
what do you, how, what's your thinking around that? I really think that the best way forward is to create the tools that allow them to do that more easily. I don't think they're not doing it for the sake of not doing it because they just don't want to. I think they have limited time in their practice and they don't have time to delve into, you know, a whole, you know, all of a patient's symptoms, all of their genetics, all their lab tests. It's really a, a computational problem and it's a time <laughs> problem and it's something where software can help because it can compute a lot of information and get you back the information that's most needed. That's why we have these reports on specific topics, right? So we're already vetting the research and saying, here's potentially a list from top to bottom from what we see as highest priority of things that can help whatever the topic is, whether it's mood, sleep, inflammation. Uh, we, have, we have a cognitive enhancement report. So whatever you want to improve, there's, you know, first we make sure that there's the, the, the approaches are generally recognized as improving that area, but then also we highlight the ones that are in particular fixing, a, a, you know, certain genetic abnormalities or, or certain genetic weaknesses, if you will. And, and then after that, you still need some more training because a physician or a coach is going to look that over and then still decide what is the best you know, for, for their client. Cause you know, the, the, their client could be taking a drug that we don't know about. There's, there's all these yeah. kinds of extraneous external data that we're not necessarily collecting at this stage. And someone has to be, we still need an individual looking at that and saying, you know, here's what maybe you want to stay away from, but they have that template where they can go off of that. Yeah. I think that the mood report and the cognitive report are really cool because, you know, for years I was, oh, um, I have to convince the medical system that I know what I'm talking about. And that's why I was so research based. It's just, you know, the way of integrative medicine making its way into the mainstream. And eventually I realized that that was just bullshit. It's just comes down to people's stories. So it's not up to me to tell you what you need to work on. You know, I need to know what you care about, what you're assigning value to. I need to listen to your story. And that, for me, having consulted to practitioners over the years, speaking you know, at UCSD and the research uh, facilities, I, I asked them, are you listening to people? What, what are they saying? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you, you, know, why do you care about this? Are, it, is it going to be congruent to what people are telling you? you know, at the end of the day. So I love the cognitive and the mood reports because I feel like uh, it's that bridge to physicians understanding how mindset shapes. And if they need a research-based way in and they don't have enough time, like you said, it's a computational, you know, issue. I feel like that's a bit more of a way for clinicians to start listening to the messages that, you know, are coming from their patients. So I listen to the story and then obviously I'm looking at all of the information on the back end. And I could say, oh, well, you know, this is what you're assigning value to. Here's the information and the data that I've, you know, collected and surmised. How about if, you know, you consider this and consider that, and that's going to build your foundation and so on and so forth. And so I think for the physicians, they have to, it's not that they don't have time. It's that they're not prioritizing time. They're not making you know, the time, but I love that it's you instead of some pharmaceutical representative going into, you know, the practice. It's 
much nicer to hear that you could go in there and shape it and say, oh, you don't have enough time? Well, here, I've got a system, you know, for you. And if that's the way, if that's the way into, you know, integrative epigenetics subjects, then that's, you know, that's awesome, I guess, from my perspective. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, I think that, uh, I think going forward, it, it, there's a lot of exciting things that are going to happen. And I think patients are going to get their physicians to make changes in their practice in order to incorporate more information. I, uh, I love, you know, so, okay, we keep talking about mood. I have to, I've been waiting to talk about this. Uh, we have to talk about how you saved your relationship with your fiance. Uh, by the way, this is, uh, Mr. Biohacker and Mrs. Biohacker. I love that you two are calling yourselves that that's really cool. Yeah, that was a funny thing because basically what happened was after Eliana fixed her mood, she, you know, we started instantly talking about how she's a biohacker, right? <laughs> Somewhat of in a joking way, but actually we were serious because before that she didn't really think that, you know, she thought a lot of things that I'm doing are weird and they're not really helping. And so before she tried out her mood report and took the supplements and things that it recommended... She thought that she told me I'm a hundred percent sure that none of this is going to help. <laughs> really, a hundred percent. And I said, "Look, if you follow the report, you could get as upset at me as you want." Because, you know, we were always getting into this back and forth where she would get upset at me. I would feel it wasn't like a valid reason, and then I would get upset at her for getting upset at me at, at a non-valid <laughs> reason, and so. I said, you know what? I'm not going to get upset at you for getting upset at me <laughs> if you just follow these recommendations. Yeah, that's a bit of a slippery slope, too. <laughs> yeah, it's this loop that you get into. Like someone gets upset at you, and then you're maybe like, why is this person upset at me? I don't get it. And then you're getting upset at them. That's kind of how these things you know, get into a negative cycle. But essentially, I said, I'll break the cycle as long as you follow the, the mood report. So she started to do the things that the report told her, and the next day, she was a completely different person. The it next was unbelievable. day? Yeah, the next day. She said, uh, and then she didn't want to admit it for a couple days. She was like, <laughs> uh, but I, I noticed that the next day, a hundred, like completely different person, was never in a bad mood. She was, from my perspective, she would be in a bad mood probably half of the day, right? And she went to point where she was maybe in a bad mood almost never i mean it's 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 a very rare occurrence almost never almost That's never it's unbelievable right paramount yeah someone who was like in a bad mood probably most of the day for our whole relationship and she just got to a period where she was not in a bad mood almost almost never right either never or almost never right i mean if i do something bad Maybe, but you'll get over it very fast. It's like something like, okay, whatever, next. Uh, so it's unbelievable. I was actually surprised by myself. You know, she used self-decode and I was like, you know, I thought it's going to help her. I was surprised how much it helped her, to be honest. So you said, forget about, well, this is my interpretation of it. Forget about what you may perceive the mood issues to be from. Just take this scientific approach based on your report Try it for X amount of time, and 
let's reassess. That yeah. was the plan. Yeah. So she did it in a very good way. I think she, she, I mean, I kind of guide her into how to do biohacking and I think she's, she's becoming really good at it, if you will. <laughs> right. So <laughs> that's so the, awesome. Yeah. The approach that she took was, you know, she downloaded the mood report. She looked at her recommendations. She saw, okay, it seems like these recommendations for her, it was uh, one of the ones that were high up on the list, very high up, were 5-HTP and lithium orotate. Cool. Right? So those generally improve mood. You know, I can give them as general recommendations, but honestly, like, they they were way more powerful for her than often, like, if, if you know, if I was, when I was doing consults before my genetic analysis, you know, I would just say, hey, here's what's good for mood. Mm-hmm. It would be a really big hit or miss. Yeah. Uh, this is... You know, it's not 100%. We're not at that stage, but sure. it's more accurate, right? It's much more likely to hit. So essentially what happened with her is so she looked at her report. She looked at the top recommendations and, you know, she's like, oh, okay, I, I already, I do this actually already. And so she looked at, here's the things that I don't do. And she read up about them on Self-Hacked. She read, you know, a whole post. She says, they seem pretty, you know, good. Like there doesn't seem anything seriously wrong with them. She asked me, because I kind of know her background, do you think these can help me? I said, yeah, I think you should try them out. And she tried them. Next day, she was better, right? And and now she's, like, trying to biohack other lifelong things that she never even knew were a problem. It's so, it's so fascinating because she didn't even realize before we met that she had any kind of mood issue whatsoever. She actually went to a psychiatrist and they said she was 100% fine. <laughs> and because, you know, she broke That's up. That's surprising. Yeah. She, <laughs> she broke up in a previous relationship and she, you know, she was going through some rough patches and she said, you know, do I have any kind of issue? And the psychiatrist said, no, you guys just weren't meant to be or whatever. And then this relationship, she didn't think, she thought she was at the peak health, that she has no issues whatsoever. And, you know, th- over time, like we try to, talk things through and we try to do what normal couples do and it wasn't helping. And, you know, so we, we got to a dead end where it was like, Hey, this is, you know, she, she didn't, she didn't believe in it at that point. She didn't think it was going to help her at all. She didn't think she had a problem. And then all of a sudden her memory got better the next day. Cause I always thought she had bad memory. So she went from <laughs> like me thinking she had bad memory to uh, normal or good memory. So she, her memory's fine. Her, uh, she said she got much happier and I can see that she doesn't have any mood issues. Like we don't really argue about things. That right? is so awesome. Yeah. And I always talk about what a foolish proposition it is that we end up in some disease state when we have these resources now to completely, you know, avoid it. I, what I find interesting is that, uh, well, it's encouraging for other people to say, set aside their story or whatever it is around mood or whatever their health concern is and just go with the data and maybe detach from the more intellectual side of what they're telling themselves about how they perceive their depression or their anxiety and just look at the report, you know, and try it. Obviously it's helpful to get the finer nuances through a consultation, but it's, it's encouraging because we know how many people struggle with depression, anxiety, mood issues, and they're just labeled. Or, you know, we're looking at these arbitrary, non-personalized patterns from the DSM. And so this is, yeah, this is really cool for sure. Yeah. And, you know, like she, the approach she's taking now, she actually wants to solve something else. And 
I think the approach she's taking now, I, I want to say what that is because I think it, it's also useful. Yeah, for example, yeah, she, she said like, hey, I'm feeling like low energy and nothing. She, she was just thinking, you know, she, she was saying, hey, I got low energy for the past, whatever, year and a half. And I don't really know what it's from. Right. Um, and then finally, like after she saw biohacking helped her, she started to realize like, hey, what else can I biohack? Right. I, I biohacked my mood. Can I biohack anything else? It's like those little choose your own adventure books from when we were kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so now she's like, okay, well, uh, so, you know, she's trying to biohack, for example, her acne and she's biohacking her energy levels. And, you know, so we, we, we went at this from like, um, you know, a, a very good approach, I think. So the first thing we did with her was I said, because this was a general kind of issue. There was no like... It, we we couldn't really put it under any kind of category. Sure, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, it's not that her cognitive function was bad. It, she just didn't feel like she had enough energy. And and so it was kind of like a vague or general condition. And then she also had some acne. So we said, I said, okay, let's go on an elimination diet. And that's one of the things that I think is always beneficial to yeah. do at first. You want to see if anything that you're ingesting is causing you problems. And so she went on an elimination diet. She tried keto. She tried a bunch of different diets, and none of them helped her, right? So she said it didn't really – nothing really improved. She still had her acne. So then she said, you know, uh, she's like, why are you not helping me? I'm like <laughs> – I'm like, we're – I'm like, Good I job, am. Good job, Joe. <laughs> I'm like, I am helping you. You just – you know, you're, you're trying one thing at a time here. So then I said, check out Self-Decode. So – She's like, I want you to check it out. I said, I said, okay. But then she just does it proactively anyway. And she's like, check this out. So she finds this gene that causes her testosterone to increase. Mm -hmm. And I say, um, okay, that's interesting. But it, you could have the gene, but it doesn't mean that it's being expressed. Yeah. Right? It doesn't mean that you have high testosterone levels. And it was pretty uncommon variant. And so she got a blood test and she saw her testosterone levels were high. And her estrogen levels were low. And the interesting thing was that she, a lot of these issues came after she stopped smoking pot. So she stopped smoking pot because she didn't like certain things about it. Mm -hmm. But then the interesting thing was that I told her, I said, kind of makes sense because the pot is very estrogenic. Yes. So it's increasing your estrogen levels and it decreases your testosterone. So it kind of balanced your hormones probably. And she was also on birth control at the time. Ah. Yeah. So she was taking these okay. faux estrogens, these fake estrogens, synthetic estrogens. She was on marijuana. And these things I think were kind of... On the marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> so it was helping her out. Uh, you know, not... It wasn't ideal, of course, but they were kind of helping... They were patching up her symptoms. But now what's clear is... And, and so... Acne can, is definitely caused by, you know, higher testosterone. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and um, you know, the we looked at, like, self-hack. What are the symptoms of low estrogen? And low estrogen could cause lower energy, worse brain function. There's a lot of issues with lower estrogen. So while her mood was completely cured, you know, she still wanted to biohack these other things. And so now we uh, – and this is re just recent. We I said, okay, let's go to self-hack. And find the things that increase estrogen. 
So we we bought all the things that increase estrogen. It's a really important <laughs> distinction that you're making here because, you know, we mostly talk about how we're in overly estrogenic society. Yes. And, you know, I caution people on doing anything for their hormones until they go to their genetics and then do their functional medical testing because we're not static and our hormones are constantly changing, you know, dynamically throughout the month, throughout the seasons. So it's really cool to look at the genetic nuances and then be able to even dial in which, you know, functional medical tests to do, et cetera, et cetera, over yeah, time. Exactly. So like you said, I, I would say that most people are probably too estrogenic, right? And the only way to know that she was having a problem, like the first thing that she did was she looked at her genetics. She said, hey, what's wrong with this testosterone? And I said, let's, let's verify it. And because she was also having symptoms of high testosterone, such as acne, right? Mm -hmm. She shouldn't be getting acne. And so, you know, based on that approach, we, we start to give her estrogenics. She, she, she verified it with her lab test. I think that's an important thing. Yeah. And then, so her testosterone was high. Her estrogen were, was low. Her estradiol was low. So once she went on this protocol to improve her estrogen, she said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm starting to feel a lot better. Like oh, my I energy. And that's so awesome. Yeah, exactly. So I think the way she's approaching this is really how a lot of people can approach their health. And again, she's the type of person that didn't think she had any kind of issues whatsoever. And now she realizes like how much better her life can be. And I was, I had the exact same story. I had 15 different issues and I would go to, you know, if I go to the doctor, they'll, they'll give me a drug for each issue. Yeah, sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're not happy. Here's an SSRI, <laughs> right? You're getting some knee pain. I don't know what to tell you. You're tired. Sleep more, right? Sure. It's like, okay, but I'm already sleeping 10 hours a day, which <laughs> I, I'm, well, I'm exercising. What do you want me to do already? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, so for me, it helped tremendously for Eliana and for many, many clients, over a thousand clients uh, over the years. So I think this approach really is something that, that people should be doing. Well, you know, you see these uh, statements, reclaim your life through this and that. But I mean, this is really reclaiming your life. Yeah. You know, people talk about longevity, but how about how we feel now? <laughs> That's, you know, most important here. I'm an older parent. I waited forever to have kids. So that was one of the reasons that I started actually paying attention to my own health. But for her, you know, she's she's seven and I'm already explaining all of this to her. She's really fascinated by it. It loves the idea, like, you know, in this whole choose your own adventure that she has so much control over it. it it's just I don't know how anybody could deny themselves, really, quite frankly, at this point. I'm looking with you. at their genetics. Yeah, I'm with you. So I agree a hundred percent, uh, really quick. You got to tell everybody how you're just on Pierce Morgan. I think that is so cool that you were on there together talking about your relationship because, you know, here, here we are on this podcast. I don't know how many people are going to listen and people will share it with their friends, but Pierce Morgan, that's a cool, huge platform. How did that happen? And what were some of the questions they were asking you? So the way Pierce Morgan happened was, uh, about two years ago, I offered, a prize to anyone who would set me up with a girlfriend. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading that. That was so great. So I, 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 I offered prize money and that kind of went viral on the internet and it got picked up by an agency who referred it to Good Morning Britain, 
a lot of places it didn't go viral as much in the US as it did globally for some reason uh you know I guess in the US it's kind of like we're more capitalistic so people kind of just thought like oh okay that makes sense right it's good page 6 material right that's yeah. out of the UK <laughs> in Europe they were going crazy they're like what uh, that's awesome so yeah uh, uh, in any case, um, that's why, uh, you know, Good Morning Britain picked it up rather than Good Morning America, I think. But essentially, uh, they, they picked it up. I got on the show and they were just, you know, we, we had a conversation about it. They thought it was amusing. And then I told them, hey, um, you know, we're getting engaged. I found someone we're getting engaged. They wanted to do a follow up with how that all worked out. And uh, and and so then I just, you know, um, we brought in you know, that like the, the mood report fixed her issues and they were, they grabbed onto that and they were like rolling with that. That was hilarious for them. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. I love him too. And I, I watched the clip and he was kind of giggling while yeah. he was talking yeah, to Yeah. They you. were all laughing. It was hilarious. I was laughing. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what uh, you're going to imagine up next for something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I could keep talking about this all of this forever, but I want to know before we go today, if you have any, uh, epigenetic words of wisdom to bestow on listeners, anything that you could share to get them inspired. Yeah, definitely. So I think people have to realize that if they have a, a, a bad variant for something, it's no way any kind of death sentence or any kind of, uh, any kind of prediction that they're going to get any issue, right? They really, people should really not look at genes as a diagnostic of what is going on in their body. And the reason is because you can have the same genes and not have a problem, right? And that's where epigenetics comes in. And so I think what's very important, and, and, and I can give you an example about APOE. So oh, a yeah, that's great because that applies yeah. to everybody just about here. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> in so America, at least. APOE4 <laughs> is something that can really scare people because it can increase your risk of Alzheimer's by 12 times, right? And so that's scary. It's like, oh, I got 12 times increased risk <laughs> yeah. of Alzheimer's. Holy crap, I'm dying, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So on the other hand, there's something called the Nigerian paradox, where pe whereas people in Nigeria do not have any, they don't have higher rates of Alzheimer's from having the ApoE4 variety, right? And so what it comes down to is that you can have a variant but not get a condition. That's why I don't believe in using genetics as a diagnostic, right? So genetics can be helpful, for example, if you already have Alzheimer's or you, you find your cognition is declining, and you find out that you have this ApoE4 variety, right? Because if your cognition is declining, your cognitive function is going down, then you want to see what are the potential genetic contributors to that so that you can overcome them. But you don't want to say like, oh, I got this ApoE4, that's it, I'm dying. Yeah. I'm, I've already got Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. that's it, yeah, it's I've over already. for me. <laughs> oh, wait, I can't remember what we... Right. Yeah. Or I got MTHFR, uh-oh, that's it, I'm, I'm so screwed. So I think it's important, number one, is to step back and say, you know, your genes are not necessarily your destiny. And that's where, because you, your genes really are a predilection for how they're going to express. So they can say, you're more likely to express this gene in this way. They're not absolutes. So for example, ApoE4, the protein, 
this is how the protein is expressed. It's usually, you know, it's, it's, it's not functioning that well. But guess what? There's other ways to compensate. The body is yeah. tremendous in having 20 different compensation mechanisms that if one gene is not working that well, that it could, you know, um, be salvaged in other ways. I'll give you an example with the same gene. With ApoE4, studies have found that if your cholesterol levels are not higher, your risk for the variant goes down dramatically. So most of the issues, a lot of them at least, have to do with having high LDL cholesterol. High, and so if you take care of one of the problems with having this variety, then the issue won't be as significant. And so that's what I'm saying. There's, you know, for when it comes to cholesterol levels, LDL, there's compensatory mechanisms that you can improve. There's the LDL receptor that you can increase. There's all these compensatory things that you can do to make it so that you don't have the risk from this flawed gene. Yeah, I always talk about the behaviors of cholesterol instead of the levels per se. Yeah. And undiagnostics rather than diagnostics. Exactly. And so we also know, and I know you're very into this, is like a lot of mind-body stuff. And so we could take an example for longevity. There's many genes that will give you a predilection for how long your telomeres are, mm-hmm. right? And oh, my clients love this. Oh, my telomeres. Tell me about my telomeres. <laughs> they all want to hear that they're long or they're going to live <laughs> <Exactly>. forever. <laughs> yeah, so we actually have a lot of content about, like, we, we just, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we just released uh, two different posts on the self-decode blog about that. Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Too. Yeah. Uh, so we're releasing posts on that, but one thing, and so one of the things to counteract that, of course, is, you know, studies have found that a lot of these mind-body approaches will lengthen your telomeres, right? And so you so can have awesome. a genetic predisposition for shorter telomeres, but then you can counteract that through, you know, uh, a mind-body approach or through yoga or through a bunch of different kinds of healthy behaviors. And so the real way to look at these things is a motivating factor. And as a, you know, you should be looking at it optimistically. Like I'm, I can improve. It it should be a motivating factor. Like, oh, I should really exercise more if I have this APOE4 variety. I should really consume DHA or maybe eat more fish if I have this ApoE4 variety. And and that's a lot of the problems. For example, ApoE4 transports DHA into the brain. I mean, it transports, yeah, it helps transport DHA. And so one way that you can compensate is to, by taking more DHA. <laughs> and DHA is helpful for everyone. It's It's a very healthy thing. But in this case, it can help motivate you. It can help you really understand on the molecular level, like, hey, I've got this protein that's just not working as well. I really should get my DHA levels up. And so it should be seen as more of a motivational factor, more something rather than a death sentence or a diagnostic tool. Yeah, I think what I love about uh, going back and forth between self-hacked and self-decode is you right from a narrative, you know, you're sharing your own experiences and, you know, exactly what you're talking about right now. It's not a death sentence. It's a, it's a proposition, you know, for you to consider. And then you always include all of the research for everybody to consider. And here's how to vet the possibilities 
personally, which is so, so, so huge because very few platforms in, in general out there are, are doing that. And we all kind of want to hear the story, you know, behind it. We want to know we're not going to die. <laughs> so when I'm talking to a lot of practitioners, they said, well, why would you look at the genetics? This is, you know, not a diagnostic tool. And we go into the whole discussion that you're sharing with people. It's just, yeah, it's you, really important this, that you're bringing that up. This is another example just for women. Um, I know there's, you know, some women who are listening to your podcast and, I think, let's say, another gene that they'll see as a death sentence is BRCA1. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And one thing that you could – we don't have a report about BRCA1 yet. Uh, Maybe we will in the future. I guess the only concern is maybe regulatory because of how people are scared for it, right? It's like cancer. They get crazy. Like, you know, uh, so Angelina Jolie, she cut off her breast. That's what caused the FDA to really up the regulation of these things Mm -hmm. It's because people got scared – and took drastic medical actions. And so that's the thing that you definitely do not want to do. If you're getting scared about your genetics, then honestly, like, you, you, you know, you're, you're not doing it right. But when we come to BRCA1, BRCA1 is a gene that basically fixes your DNA. And it fixes your DNA in particular in response to certain chemicals that are in the environment. Thank for you example, for saying that. Yeah, formaldehyde and VOCs, for example, right? So... If you have this BRCA1, I think something that you, instead of being scared and, you know, say, oh, I got to, like, do some crazy things, maybe you should check your environment and make sure that you're not as exposed to high levels of VOCs or or formaldehyde. Or you can do other things that can enhance DNA protection. Uh, So none of these things, I I haven't come across a gene that was like, "Uh uh-oh, you're doomed, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless it's like a genetic mutation, right? Whereas, you know, and those are like genetic, very hardcore genetic diseases. Those are the things that the medical establishment actually does have a handle on, where you have a genetic disease um, and often, you know, not always, I, you know, there's a bunch of different kinds of medical diseases, but sometimes when the, you have a serious mutation that, you know, like Huntington's, Huntington's is, yeah, is more serious. Example. Yeah. So I got that, I would be a little scared. with Fanconi anemia. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's as serious as Huntington's. Okay. And looking at the whole entire picture, though, is still so helpful, even if you have a serious genetic yes. disease. Because uh, one of my one of my patients whose children has Fanconi anemia, she loves your platform, and she's always taking it to you know the hospital, taking it to the doctors, to say, well, wh- you know, what about the interaction? Here, what about this interaction? And what about these methylation profiles? So still, even if that's the case, the bigger picture. Is- oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I, I, I hope that wasn't unclear. That, like, for example, if you do have Huntington's or someone has Huntington's, that it's, you know, that that's also a death sentence, right? I'm just saying, like, actually, you can always prolong. You can always improve. You can always optimize no matter what you have no matter what genetic mutation there's always things that can help improve i was just saying that you know those things are i guess a different level of seriousness oh yeah yeah totally i appreciate what you're saying i love that you brought it up i'm just saying for anybody out there you know declare that clarify that for them yeah yeah yeah. no it needed clarification (laughs) (laughs) no it's really helpful but so many people have been touched by your platform in such a short period of time. And I think, um, 
for people to be able to understand that genes are not a death sentence and for you to share your story more and more and your relationship story. That's so huge. It's yeah. So keep doing that. I hope that it'll influence people to take charge of, you know, what they can instead of saying, I can't do anything about it. Uh, I wanted to tell everybody today, if you want to jump on to self-decode, you can get a really cool 10% discount if you put in flavor ID and you can go on, you could go under and get a kit and you get a subscription or you could look at all the different um, lab test analyzers and you could go back and forth between self-hacked and self-decode. They're totally intuitive and you can also message them if you have questions. They're super awesome when it comes to responding to everybody who's you know using the app. If you are someone who wants to just dive in by yourself, uh, you could do that too and just take it into your own hands. So you have anything to add before we go? Yeah, I guess if I were to add one thing, uh, some people were asking, you asked me before the show, where do, where do I think self-decode is going? Where yeah. the, the future of that? Yeah. I think just briefly, um, I think one of the things that needs to be done is an integration with symptoms, lab tests, things like self-hacked and um, they need to be done on like an, a very integrated platform. Right now, they're a bit separate. Like you, you got to go to self-hack. You got to go to lab test analyzer. We plan on integrating all that information into one platform. And so that, for example, if you download a report, it's going to have the lab information with your genetics, with the symptoms. So we're going to be taking a lot more symptom data. And uh, so that that's essentially where we're going with an integrated platform. Um yeah. That's really cool. Well, you're going to have to come back soon and talk about it more. Okay. I know we're going to get so many cool questions about this. People are going to want to know more as it evolves. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I had a great time. <laughs>